What a freaking week, you guys. It has been a fire hose of news. Uh, I think we're all grateful that it's Friday. And today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking about the news that is on everyone's mind, the arrest of Robert Tellez in connection with the murder of investigative reporter Jeff Gehrman. A quick note, we are recording this episode on Thursday afternoon, so some things may have changed by the time you hear this. We'll do our best to keep you updated. You can go check our Twitter. We are retweeting and following the news there. We're at CityCast Vegas. So I'm joined today by host David Figler. Hi, David. Hey, hey, Sonia. And newsletter editor Scott Dickensheets. Hey, Scott. Good morning. It is Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. All right, you guys, how are we feeling with the fire hose today? Are we are we just like completely blind? Are we blind, deaf and dumb at this point? How are we doing? Well, you know, it, it always is hard when we're talking about a death of someone who's been in our community for a really long time. It, it's also kind of that double edge of sadness when it, the national spotlight is on Las Vegas for something involving violence and death. But how about you, Scott? Uh, you know, you're a journalist, and this was a journalist who was killed. I, I think you knew, you knew Jeff Gehrman, yeah? Yeah, we were acquaintances at best. We shared some time in the uh, Las Vegas Sun newsroom a few decades ago. So yeah, this is a quite somber time for me and, and those of my friends who, who knew Jeff pretty well. I, again, like I said, I knew him glancingly. I don't want to pretend to a greater intimacy than I had with him, but we were colleagues and we did bump into each other on the regular back in the Sun newsroom. Yeah, same here as, you know, he covered a lot of court proceedings and I would often see him sometimes have spirited conversations, especially <laughs> if you wanted to comment on one of my tweets that maybe was a little critical of some of his coverage. But that said, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm the same, Scott. I, I don't want to take anything away from people who are actually close or friends with him. Yeah. Well, let me, why don't I, to start us off, why don't I give us a very brief timeline of the events that led up to the most recent events of this week. So, in May to June of this year, Jeff Gehrman releases several articles that detail allegations of emotional stress, favoritism, bullying, as well as video of an affair that Tellus was allegedly having an affair with a subordinate staffer. Robert Tellus is kind of this obscure elected official. He's the Clark County administrator. We'll, I'm sure, get more into that. And then in June, Tellus loses his bid in the primaries, supposedly thanks to Gehrman's reporting. And then more recently on Saturday morning, one of Gehrman's neighbors reports finding him unresponsive on the ground, and it turns out he has died of stab wounds. And um, video footage of a person now alleged to be Tellez is seen coming to and from the home, driving a vehicle that matches Tellez's vehicle. Um, Tellez is arrested yesterday in a highly um, publicized dramatic event. It turns out he has self-inflicted wounds. And he is brought to court and formal charges of murder are given. So that's kind of the the brief timeline. David, maybe can you tell us a little bit more about the articles that Gehrman published that led, possibly led to Tellez losing the primary? Sure. And, and as much, Sonia, as we're talking about an ongoing and pending 
criminal case. Uh, I, I think I would be betraying my training as a criminal defense lawyer sure. who's, you know, sworn to uphold the Constitution to not give the disclaimer that, you know, what we're talking about are facts that have been revealed to the public. But as far as the the guilt or innocence of uh, Robert Tellis, have to acknowledge, and rightfully so, the cornerstone of democracy, that he is innocent until proven otherwise. Yes. No, absolutely. So uh, with regard to the articles, what Gehrman did was go very in-depth in this. He did some public records requests. He did a lot of interviews. Tellus actually allowed them into the office to be confronted about it. He denied that there was any kind of misdoing or bad behavior as being alleged against him. The RJ also had video journalism involved in this, and they... uh, were able to come across some videotape of what appeared to be Robert Tellis and one of the employees in the back of a vehicle across the street from the government center doing whatever. They said they were just talking. People were suggesting it might have been a lot more than that. And Rob Tellis is a married person. He has three kids. So obviously all that was highly embarrassing. The insinuation was strong. The implication was that he was an incompetent administrator. And this was right during an election season where the election was coming up. And as you stated as well, he came in third place running against other employees of his own office, which probably makes it very, if it was a hostile environment before, I can't imagine that didn't make it better. There hadn't been any new reporting, although there is a suggestion that Gehrman was picking up the trail and doing some kind of new reporting on the public administrator and Mr. Tellis at the time of, of his murder. We don't know what that is yet, though. Scott, tell us more about Jeff Gehrman. What was his reputation like in in Las Vegas? Uh, well, I, I think he was sort of generally well known as a dogged reporter. He he had a lot of contacts out there, a lot of sources, a lot of tipsters. I remember him from my days at the Las Vegas Sun just constantly on his phone. People would always be calling him with little leads, little tips, little ideas. And that was a newsroom full of characters. And, and Jeff held his own. He was not super larger than life, but he you know, he was, a, he was definitely a presence in the newsroom. I think his reputation was sort of as a dogged, uh, facts-forward kind of reporter and writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well respected. Very well respected. Yeah, by all accounts, had just had kind of like a storied career over 40 years in Las Vegas. Now to kind of turn our attention a little bit to to Rob Tellis. Scott, what do we know about Tellis? Oh, well, he was a, he'd been here for like 20 years or so. Um, got a law degree, I think, in, the, in 2014 or so from the Boyd Law School. He was elected as public administrator in 2018. His first political job. There's sort of like a, a split in opinion. It seems like he worked with a lot of of community service agencies and organizations, and they've been quoted as saying like he was really committed to service. He was a really friendly guy and all that. You know that sort of gentle public facing sort of demeanor that one has. But then you know you hear from his employees that they were frightened of him. They were afraid for their lives. They felt bullied. Uh, they felt like some some fear of retaliation. So it's really sort of an interesting dual portrait that, that sort of arises yeah. from just from the bare facts that we have. Right, right. It's interesting to hear you bring up that point that, you know, a person can be different people to different people in their lives. You know, it's like you 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 can be such a, a kind and warm, gentle person to like in this one sphere of your life and then and then maybe a monster in, in another. So absolutely. We contain multitudes. So maybe let's get into like that presser Thursday morning from the Las Vegas Metro Police Department, because 
Uh, it was a little shorter than I expected, but we did get a little bit of new information. What evidence does the state have against Tellez so far? So it, it, it was a little short and they definitely cut it off. So, you know, little bits of pieces of information have been revealed by by the police department as we go. So initially we saw the picture of an individual wearing an outfit that was unusual, reflective vest and a straw hat, some gloves and a duffel bag in the area. We saw the car that was this maroon GMC uh, of a certain year frame. And then uh, what, what they told us at the presser today was that uh, the car they believe that was involved in the murder was registered to Telus's wife. It was also previously revealed that it was seen in his driveway after the murder, and there was video footage of that. And then today we also learned that during the searches of Telus's home, that they found a straw hat cut up in pieces that appeared to be similar to the one depicted in the video that was released. They found tennis shoes or shoes that looked like they were the ones of the individual who were in there that were also cut up that had apparent blood on it. And so that was really it from the the presser itself. They didn't give a lot more information. They said this is an ongoing investigation. They kind of talked about how they got to where they got um, and that they had been in consultation with the DA's office. And then after the presser, some hours later, he was arraigned in court where he was formally charged with open murder. And some additional facts were revealed by the prosecutor mm. uh, that uh, there was some DNA found underneath the fingernails of Jeff Garriman. We also found out a little bit about the self-inflicted wounds from that court proceeding. Mm -hmm. It appears that they were superficial wounds to his own arms. Uh. I mean, we don't know if there were other people involved, if it was by himself yeah. or otherwise, if he's alleged to be the actual person, although it does uh -huh. seem to be pointing that that is the theory of prosecution here, that this was mm -hmm. premeditated, that he showed up uh, with a weapon, that he used the weapon that Garman tried to defend himself, that DNA was left behind, and that evidence associated with the offense itself was found either in the possession of Rob Tellis or at his home. All right, I'm going to say something that might sound a little controversial, but when I saw the cut-up hat during the presser, I was like, Man, have you not listened to a murder podcast? Like, this is not the way to get rid of evidence. It just, I, I really had to question his state of mind. And, and it makes you, it makes you wonder, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's only been practicing law a short period of time, maybe. Oh, man. Yeah. Not to get not too macabre. Not to macabre, get too macabre. But yeah. I, I mean, yeah. look, if, if this was a premeditated murder, as it will be alleged, it didn't seem very thoughtful or thought out not like any murder ever mm -hmm. is thoughtful. But yeah, it doesn't sure. seem like he did a good job in in covering his tracks if that was his intention all along. I mean, there's going to be more well, about... Well, he drove his own car. Yeah, well, yeah. I, to yeah. the scene. Well, and, and you know, how these things develop is is kind of a matter of one of a few different pathways, either seeking a quick plea bargain or, or suggesting it, he wasn't there or that mm. he was under some sort of, you know, mental frame of mind or that it actually was huh. meant to be something else and that, you know, Gehrman attacked him first. Or I mean, there's a few different ways that it can go uh, sure. and that is yet to be seen. hear your journalist perspective on this because when I feel like one of the undercurrent or like themes that I keep hearing about is like attacks on journalists, attacks on journalists. I guess the climate that journalists have been operating in has been slowly getting like hotter and hotter and more and more uncomfortable. Any number of opinion polls will show that the media in general has a pretty low approval rating amongst people. And mm. 
and people on both the right and the left are often casting aspersions on the media. And former President Trump famously declared the media, you know, enemies of the people. And so I think all of that creates a climate in which, you know, a journalist sort of, you know, has a certain anxiety about going about his job, especially if he's in sort of in one of the tougher, grittier lines of work, like investigative reporting. I mean, you know, if you're an arts journalist, you're probably not facing, you know, the sort of the same, you know, sets of angry people that you might be if you were ripping the lid off of City Hall. Although some artists can be really (laughs) cranky. Oh, and... But yeah, you're right. (laughs) You know, you know... Yeah, (laughs) because they don't underestimate (laughs) artists. (laughs) So I think there's a sort of a growing sense over the last, you know, any number of years that it's becoming more and more dangerous to be a journalist, especially if you have one of those frontline sort of jobs. So, you know, a glance at the international headlines will show you that a lot of journalists uh, are already sort of paying with their lives for doing the work that they do. And it's no surprise that journalists everywhere, including here, are, are feeling a lot of extra pressure these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think right away of the, you know, the reporters down in Mexico report on 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 the narco uh, systems down there, and then they wind up dead, just like you know any officials who speak out about it. And it's very hot, and I, I see that line coming here a lot. I because I don't want to call it an easy narrative, but I think we also have to remember that you know in any murder case, and this is you know just my experience, there's very very human dynamics, like the assailant. What is wrong with the assailant and their way of thinking? How does an assailant go from a, a slight uh, that came from even losing a job to violence, right? Uh, and so what mm-hmm. is that progression? That's, that is lost in the conversation as opposed to the, the narrative where this is just an attack on journalism itself. So that nuance is hard, right? Yeah, I would never want to sort of imply that Jeff's tragic death is just sort of symptomatic of a larger right. thing. I mean, it's every, every incident has its own particulars. But I do think as to the, you know, as to the larger context, there is sort of a, a growing sense amongst journalists that you know, that this is not always, you know, the easiest profession to follow. Oh, I totally agree with that. But to make that the prime narrative, which I've been seeing, you know, so far on people talking about it or, you know, even even the dynamic of, of some of the reporting on it is more, you know, is this endemic of, of the assault on journalism in general? And so I, I think that those are two very different things, and it's easy to talk about them in the same breath, but I think we also have to remember that every murder case has its own dynamics, and there was obviously something very, very personal here as opposed to some sort of generic attack on journalism. What I'm seeing as a difference is that this was in no way, like, sanctioned by authorities, right? This was in no way sanctioned or encouraged by authorities, yeah, I don't think this is a message about fake news, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that, even though the guy denied. And again, if he is the one who did this, he denied that, that that the reporting was accurate and got that word out. But you also have to wonder, like, how much of the broader narrative of like, you know, distrust or mistrust in journalism or like the I think some of his tweets kind of called Jeff's reporting into question, saying that Jeff was digging through his trash like a raccoon oh, or something. Yeah, he was like, at definitely, one point, uh, you know. I'm sure that was like stoking the flames of his resentment, you know. Oh, I I don't think that any prosecutor anywhere would have a hard time if the evidence matches up to show not just motive, but that this was a festering disdain Mm -hmm. for the reporter who, you know, had been revealing these things about his workplace, about his work style, maybe even about his personal life. 
But again, I, I don't think that this is a pushback under any sort of sanction rhetoric anywhere against, you know, false reporting or or too intensive reporting. Although the fact that it is a subject and a, a journalist who are in the mix as far as our conversation goes, it, it's it is there. Yeah, and especially yeah. the kind of journalism that Jeff was doing. I mean, that's that accountability journalism is foundational to, you know, what what you know the press's role in you know, the larger democracy is. I think that's one reason why there is such an intense spotlight on this case. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scott, you've been a journalist now in Las Vegas for many years. I won't say how many. <laughs> Thank you. What are some of your, like, initial takeaways so far on, on the reporting that you've seen? Uh, well, one, I think one takeaway, aside from all of the sort of really intense stuff David has been talking about, it, there was a line in one of the stories that, I, that probably very few people but me paid attention to, and it said, like, in the weeks leading up to, you know, his death, he, you know, Gearman had been looking for more information on TELUS. And the word weeks stood out to me because I think that really underlines for me what a painstaking, unglamorous sort of work investigative journalism is. Hmm and how fewer and fewer media operations in in this country are underwriting it. And hmm. because it's just not, you don't see the quick ROI that you do when you turn and burn quick content. And so kudos to the RJ for trying to get people to talk who don't want to talk or who are afraid to talk. You've got to dig through, you know, just massive tranches of, of public information. And it's, you know, it's just like very painstaking and so I'm glad that, you know, that there are still a few pockets of that left, and I'm glad one of them is here. I, I would say I'm, I'm really interested in, in kind of what he was working on, too, and if that plays into the story, yeah. because he had made some public record requests. The public administrator, while an obscure position, is one that has not been without controversy. Prior public administrators have come under great scrutiny, allegations of, of financial misdealings. What did they do again? David, actually? So if a person dies with a estate of a certain size or assets of a certain size, and there's nobody who can come claim, there's no next to kin found, there's no executor by way of a will or something, the public administrator is the one that steps in and sort of manages and resolves that estate. They are you know, tasked with looking for heirs if they can't find heirs to dispose of that income, uh, and, and money does flow. There are a lot of different opportunities without getting into the minutia of how the public administrator works. But, you know, in the past, certainly there have been lots of allegations that the public administrator misused that office for personal gain. That That's something that has been alleged in the past. I would say that of all the government positions, that is one that theoretically could be exploited if, if there was a bad player in, in there. And they deal with the courts a lot, you know, and so they make representations and they also have the ability to contract other people and there would be opportunity for kickbacks and stuff. And I'm not saying any of that occurred here, just saying that that is a vulnerable sure. area. So if if Gehrman hadn't left the story alone because the guy was already out of office, he was only going to be there for a few more months, like what was coming next? And is, is that something that possibly motivated whatever it is that, you know, happened in, in Rob Tellis's mind, uh, allegedly? Sure. Allegedly. 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 I, we have well, to stick yeah. with that. I mean, that is important. It's, again, not just lip service. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's democracy. It's, it's America. Right. It's yeah. the law. On that note, let's turn our eyes to something a little yes. more lighthearted for yes. the weekend. What 
tidbit of news real quick are you taking with you this weekend to the family dinner, the family barbecue that you just can't wait to share? It just just makes you happy, makes you smile. David, what's got you excited? Uh, well, this is kind of interesting. I'm excited for the Las Vegas Aces. Let's let's give a shout out hey. to this, you know, hometown WNBA team Woo-hoo. that I know nothing about, that I am a bandwagoner for sure. Now that they're in the finals, you know, I'm jumped on. I'm jumped on. It is exciting. And, you know, it's nice to have, as we're becoming a sports town, to have a hometown team that's going to the finals. And, you know, I'm going to be watching Woo-hoo. it. And uh, I think I'm going to try to get my uh, friends and family interested in it too something we could all share and and root 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 for goodness sunday games on sunday scott what's got what's got you tickled this weekend tickled might not might not be the right word but delighted i guess might be all right you know the black mountain institute over at unlv recently announced its new slate of fellows you know melissa phoebos uh amanda fortini is back in town which is always a good thing and Mm -hmm. given the given the organization sort of turmoil uh last year and all the changes and difficulty it went through to have them back in the flow as you know as a major literary organization in this town is is heartening and it's always good to have these visiting writers in the city's bloodstream for a while and just you know figuring out what what the town's about possibly writing about it but experiencing it and so I'm I'm looking forward to what comes of that me too how about you Sonia what's the weekend for you well I just saw the news that uh, Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland came to Nevada just the other day, and she was visiting Aviquime, that area of land that's being proposed as a national monument south of Las Vegas, which is which is really cool. So it's just it's great that this local movement is getting some national attention, and perhaps another step along the way of Aviquime becoming a national monument. We've actually got a whole episode about that, y'all. So go look for it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Oh, man. Well, thank you both for this great conversation. I feel enlightened and also heartened, I think, by it, even though it's a heavy topic. And, you know, uh, condolences to to Jeff's family and friends who knew him, um, you know. And his colleagues at the Review Journal. And his colleagues. Yes. You know, he and I, like I said, may have disagreed sometime, but, you know, such a loss and, and no one deserves that. And so, you know, heart, heartfelt condolences to, to all. <laughs> That is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is me, Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Leila Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuvuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, I know you did. You learned something new go tell a friend. Send them this episode. Then make sure you're subscribed, you're following the show, make sure they're subscribed and following the show. And also subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. It's the best, I promise. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care, y'all. Maybe I just haven't had enough Diet Coke yet. I don't know.